0: Welcome to the Two Tokens Podcast. During these episodes, we will invite guests onto our show and discuss everything token related. You can expect to hear about token business models, the underlying technology stack, token governance, but also about mainstream topics such as NFTs. Does this sound interesting to you? Then make sure you subscribe and keep listening. And now, on to the episode. Okay, so uh, uh, starting with a small word on this super successful company called Tokeny. Um... Well, actually, I would say that we're not yet a successful company, but we have the pleasure of still being alive, which is not trivial nowadays. Because if you look at the beginning of this industry, right, five, six years ago with ICOs, you know, everybody was, uh, you know, exciting about this new way to uh, fundraise project. We did ourselves more than 50 ICOs. Uh, After six months, we uh, made already a million euros of revenue. Um, so that was indeed a good start and then everybody, you know, that could have a decentralized project did the decentralized project and you saw the curve of ICO going down and then everybody was talking about STOs. Right, STOs, so we're going to ride the, the wave of STOs. And the reality is that the wave of STO was a total failure because I think that from the uh, probably 20 projects that we launched, some two or three of them successfully raised money. Uh, so, uh, of course, the market was very fast to move away from STOs and now everybody's talking about NFTs, right? Uh, so, um, when you are a company like us that's focused on securities and not on crypto, um, that's a tough decision to make at a certain point of time. And if you compare, you know, our valuation with the like that make the different decision, such as Fireblocks, which is a partner of Tokeny, that raised his last round uh, of 550 million at 8 billion valuation, you say like, oh, that maybe wasn't the right decision to make. Anyway, uh, since uh, we missed uh, this STO wave, then we had, uh, you know, for about two years, nothing better to do than to start developing standards. And that's what we have today. We have uh, uh, we had a team of around 30 people that have developed um, standards for security token that are open source. Anybody can use those standards. Um, of course, you know, um, Linux is also open source and they find a way to make money. So we hope that uh, we will also find a way to monetize those standards. But, but those standards are available to anyone and, and, and are um, on GitHub if you'd like to have a look. Um, we, uh, in the meantime, uh, the market has been catching up a little bit. So we have been issuing more than 80 security tokens now using our standards representing around 28 billion of assets. So we, we know a little bit on, on how to do that uh, in a practical term. And we also have um, um, interesting shareholders. First, we had Euronex three years ago. Bad timing for having Euronex on board because at that time, you remember, um, uh, obviously LSCG wanted to sell uh, Borsa Italiana uh, because of the Refinitiv acquisition. So all the um, energy of Euronex has been focused on that acquisition for the last three years. So great investor to have, but regretfully for our business. Nevertheless, now there are some development in terms of regulation, DLT pilot regime, And as you know, that directive has been made for CSDs because they have the opportunity to apply for the license uh, before others and and be part of the sandbox. So we now have finally projects starting up with Euronex, which is very exciting. Apex, I don't know if you're familiar with Apex. Apex is is probably the largest uh, privately owned asset service in the world. They manage around 3 trillion of assets uh, for asset managers, uh, including BlackRock. And they have 5,900 clients. Uh, And obviously, the investment of Apex gave a clear message where this industry is going. Uh, Of the record, they are planning to bring around one trillion of assets in the next three years on the blockchain um, for all the customers, and they are going to start mailing uh, in about two months now to all of them, inviting them to tokenize their assets. So if you wonder where the market is going, definitely that's a good hint. And we also have Inveniam as a shareholder. Inveniam is an interesting company. They do digital twins. To enable to do real-time pricing of assets, because obviously it's very hard to sell something on secondary market if you cannot price it. So, uh, going. Did you implement Some uh, additional animation. <laughs> Not. Did I? Let me see. So it's a voice recognition. Next slide. <laughs> Okay, so obviously that, well, I had that slide before what happened in Ukraine, so that's probably a counterproductive example, uh, regretfully. But, uh, um, you know, when I want to talk about standards, I have a couple of use cases to show, you know, why standards are needed in the industry. And this one, as I said, is is a regretful one, but you know that the wide of rail track in, in, in Russia is different than in the rest of Europe. And it was made, obviously, to avoid having train going into Russia to invade Russia, right? It's still the case today. Um, uh, obviously, uh, it's regretfully very timely now that uh, it potentially could serve again. Um, but the reality before that is that no train could travel to Russia because of the lack of interoperability between the rail systems, right? Um, obviously, you know that reference. But who knows why vhs won over Betamax? Any idea? The porn industry. So you know, obviously, your content. Um, So, yes, it's true. Obviously, uh, and and I apologize being in Holland that I didn't put the video 2000 because I had one at home from Philips, right? Um, It was a great standard, probably even better than the Betamax, but it lost as well because the industry, the porn industry selected the VHS standard to distribute its content. So at the end of the day, you know, the quality of the standard is less important than market adoption. If you don't have market adoption, you can have the best standard in the world; it's for sort of nothing, right? And of course, probably VHS was a great standard, but then it became very quickly obsolete because there was another standard that came and and overtook, you know, from a technology perspective, perspective uh, how content was uh, was distributed. So you see, you can bet on the standard, and then two three years after, there was another standard uh, that was basically taking the leadership. That is probably something that, uh, I don't know if you remember those flip-flop phone. Uh, We probably haven't seen that much of those phones here in in Europe, but uh, those those phones were mostly in Korea, South Korea, and uh, in the US, they were based on the technology called CDMA-TDMA, and the characteristic of those phones in that they had no SIM cards. So they had no identity in the telephone. And obviously that's a big difference between the GSM standard, because the GSM put the identity in the center of the phone, enabling you to switch phone and take your identity with you. So identity was really at the core of this technology, which make it, you know, the global standard that we know today, uh, leading to mass adoption. So why do we need standards in this industry and what for? Um, obviously, <clears throat> if you take um, public chain, because I think that uh, we just had a nice explanation on why we don't believe that uh, private chain will work, uh, but if you take public chain, if you take if you take the standard of, uh, of Ethereum for example, which is a ERC20 uh, format, the ERC20 is non-permission. That means that if I take an ERC20 and, and I transfer this ERC20, you will get it. But in a sense this is great, but if you happen to be Russian or North Korean for that matter, you shouldn't receive it. It should be blocked. So if you work on public chain, those public chain are non-permission. So there are a lot of things that you need to do when you start dealing with security that you cannot do with the ERC-20 standard. For example, empower the issuer. We have a tendency to forget that, but the issuer is responsible for his issuance. So you have to give him the tool to be responsible towards the regulator. You need to be uh, capable of respecting terms and conditions. If you do a distribution uh, to qualified investors or retail investors, how do you enforce that if you have no way to control the tokens? Same for transfer. You know, you obviously, if you start dealing with equity, you have a, um, a shareholder agreements with transfer restriction. How do you enforce those transfer restriction? And obviously the same applies to any form of asset, including uh, funds. How do you enforce governance? Taking again the example um, of, a, uh, of an equity, if you have tag along um, uh, applying to, to, that, um, uh, to that instrument and, and the government says, okay, I can sell. How do you enforce that on something that is on permission? How do you allow new service offering? Obviously, if you cannot control the token, and how do you guarantee the integrity of the assets? You've seen this example with the Bitcoin, which by the way is a non-permission blockchain of people trying to recover the laptop on which they had the private key, because this is the private key that you're using to identify yourself. And if you lose your private key, and what was the amount, 20 million Bitcoin he had on, this, on his laptop in the, that is on the, now in the, in the garbage uh, trash in somewhere in the, in the middle of England. So how do you guarantee asset integrity? Clearly this is something that the regulator will never accept. A uh, regulator will never accept that you can lose your asset cannot be in the world of finance right so for that you need indeed a standard for enabling all those services. I think that we're missing a couple of uh, <laughs> of the the layout so <clears throat> obviously tokenization can be done with the e r c twenty uh it costs around uh, uh, probably five bucks so the the, the creating a token uh, is something that is indeed very easy that you can Demonstrate to anyone. But obviously, it's very much like having a Ferrari without wheel. It doesn't bring you anywhere. So, uh, in order to create something that is compliant with security law, then it happens at different levels. The first one, of course, is at the blockchain level. You need the infrastructure, and I can talk about it in a second. You need a protocol for the token. As I just explained, the RC20, which is the sole standard that exists today, is not permission that does not allow you to represent securities. And then you have applications. So this part, blockchain and security token protocol, are things that we have developed that are open source and available to anyone. And the rest are applications that we have developed to make use of those standards. But anyone is free to redevelop the same applications. Uh, Blockchain networks, obviously, um, we started with Ethereum. We remain on Ethereum, despite the fact that a lot of companies offered us a quite substantial amount of money to start developing the ecosystem but we turned them down because we have this vision that um, if you want indeed to remove all those barrier of entry um, uh, to enable a path towards critical mass you need to build on the on, on one silo. let's put it this way and and we from the very beginning have bet on on ethereum now of course there was a lot of shortcoming with ethereum and I can I can see now that a lot of those shortcomings have been addressed by the evolution Uh, related to uh, what we call layer 2, or EVM compatible. Um, It's important to say that when you talk about EVM compatible, that means that they all use the same programming language, which is Solidity. Um, So there's no such a thing as um, interoperability between blockchain that are not developed on Solidity. If you use Corda or, or others, it simply does not work. So what you need to do when you want to create this interoperability is to immobilize the assets on one blockchain and recreate the same asset on a different blockchain under the same terms and conditions. It's feasible, but the problem is when you do that, you become the single point of failure in the network. And I don't see how large financial institution will entrust startups that are three or four years old to take all their, their businesses and become the single point of failure to the network. As I usually say, you know, um, there is one guy that is the most important person in, the, in an organization, well above the CEO, which is the, the compliance officer that will say no, and that's it. A compliance officer, the CEO, will never gain, go against the decision of a compliance officer. And if you are the single point of failure, that, w- that will not work for sure. So um, what we see now with, with um, EVM compatible, such as Polygon, uh, you can generate transactions, you see the cost, you see the speed, um, obviously, we're not limiting ourselves to Polygon. We, Polygon was the first um, uh, EVM compatible blockchain that we've implemented, but we work also now on Avalanche, on the Binance Smart Chain. Um, and, and there again, because they are built on solidity, you can enable all those uh, future promises linked to blockchain, such as uh, DeFi. Uh, we work very closely with Polygon to, uh, uh, to implement DeFi protocol, which is where we see potentially the, the, the next big uh, uh, wave of, of opportunity. Uh, at the token level, uh, we have um, designed, initially we called it the TRX, it was token for a regulated exchange. It was nice because we had this great dinosaur. Uh, now we received, in the meantime, recognition from the Ethereum community with our own ERC code, which is the 3643, which is not the self declared code like the RC 1400, which is they just put the brand without uh, consulting with the Ethereum community. So we went to, uh, uh, to the Ethereum community, we submitted our smart contract, they've been audited and we received this recognition. So in essence, what the RC uh, 3643 does is very basic. It replaces the transfer function of the ERC 20. So it's override the transfer function and it replaces it with a compliance framework. We worked for about six months with DLA Piper to understand what were the, the terms and regulations applying to any type of financial instrument in as many jurisdictions as possible. That's why when we say we cover 170, this is true. In reality, you know, when you cover 20, you cover the 170, eh? but, uh, <laughs> but, but indeed the framework enables to do that and across any type of instrument being debt, equity, fund, or anything like this. Um, so uh, it is a, a library of smart contracts. So it's not a single smart contract. So if there are changes in regulation, you can update the library without um, updating Uh, the main smart contract which would require to burn and and recreate one. But more importantly, we'll link that with on-chain ID Uh, because there are certain terms and conditions that of course are applying to an instrument, but they are dependent on the quality of the investor. Uh, KYC for example, country of residence, quality, that kind of things. It needs to be linked with an identity solution. So there again, we didn't reinvent the wheel, we took an existing standard from Ethereum Surprisingly enough, the two standards, the RC20 and the RC73435, were developed by the same guy. If you remember, Fabian Vogelsteller was the one that, that wrote those standards. So we used that standard for identity, and we started building application on the top of that. On-chain ID is an anonymized credential solution. So what it does it check on the identity if you are, if you have the right to make the analogy with a passport. You have a passport and a visa. So on-chain ID is like a visa and then on your on, uh, sorry, a passport and on your passport you have visa. It's the same thing. So there's no data available on the on, on the blockchain. It's just claims that are written by people that are authorized to do so like KYC agent. If those claims are not on your identity, the token can simply not be transferred. So it is anonymized. So there's no data. It's just claims, you activate those claims by, uh, by um, uh, asking for, for, for a transfer of the token, as simple as that. Uh, and then, of course, we've built, as I said, application to make use of that. We are going to spin off this activity of on-chain ID because there is great demand in the industry. This does not only limit itself to uh, uh, securities, there are multiple use cases. The first application that we did is to um, uh, develop a, a connector called Comply DeFi that enables, com- that enables uh, DeFi protocol to check the identity. For the moment, this is still anonymous, but it won't remain as such. The SEC already made that clear. So you need to have a, at least a minimum set of KYC assigned to a person. It can be a name, it can be an email address, but you need to have that. We're also using that to, uh, to um, uh, launch Stablecoin. We signed our first Stablecoin client. It's a bank in Bermuda called Joel that does not intend to limit itself to Bermuda. They already signed um, customers in the US to launch uh, Stablecoin in US dollar. We're discussing with bank in the UK to use that as well. Um, so this is obviously a mechanism to represent value and to ensure compliance on anything that obviously represents such a value. Uh, I'm almost done. So, um, Um, There are around 120 functions available on the ERC-3643 compared to the 20 of the uh, ERC-20 tokens. Um, uh, And as I said, it's free for you to use that. So, um, this is obviously something that we would very keen to to discuss with you, how we can use those standards to develop specific use cases uh, that uh, obviously will meet the one that you have already identified. Uh, In terms of liquidity, again, the idea here is to build standards. Um, there is, uh, and we know we discussed this this morning during the podcast, Milan, uh, but I think that in order to uh, achieve liquidity in market, you also need to enable interoperability. Um, with um, the newcomers being uh, crypto exchanges, uh, with DeFi protocol, with regulated market infrastructure, but also with OTC platforms. So we have really positioned this uh, this token, the RC3643, as a standard that can be operated on any of those platforms. And this is, in our view, the same. The, the, the sole way, sorry, in order to enable that, uh, that path towards critical mass, which is required for providing liquidity in, in, in capital markets. That's it. Um, you have a lot of information on our website. We have published a lot of things uh, recently e books um, and, and other documents. Uh, we took ourselves you know, this role of trying to evangelize the market and educate the market, as you said earlier. Did I mention the word tokenization too many times? Yeah, okay. You see, you got me. (laughs) So thank you very much. And I will be around, you know, in our uh, table. And and if you have questions after that as well. That was it for today's podcast. Thank you for listening in and please subscribe so you don't miss out on our upcoming episodes. If you want to get in touch with us, you can find our contact details at www.twotokens.org.